Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today. And we are recording uh, these shows in Oxford, Mississippi, on the campus of the University of Mississippi, often called Ole Miss. And my guest today is Carlisle Wolf. Welcome, Carlisle. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And Melody Moody Thortis is our producer today, and not Kevin Farrell. So it's nice to be in this small space with you two lovely human beings. <laughs> so, Carlisle, you, uh, you're a visual artist, and you've received several fellowships That's from the right. Mississippi Arts Commission, right? That's right. Three, 2005, 2010, and 2015. So thank you very much. <laughs> That's remarkable. Uh, so you're both extremely talented, and you're obviously pretty good at uh, applying for grants. <laughs> well, that one. <laughs> thank you. And, you know, one of the one of the things that we worry about is that, you know, people don't apply for all this money that we have, which was given to us as public money to, to give to artists. And so we're always delighted when we find somebody that really works the system. Uh, another guest I had on recently was a former student of yours, Earl Dismuk, and he Dismuk, and he has just had applied for his first fellowship and gotten it, and he was really excited. And one of the things that he and I talked about is what he did with the stipend, what he did with the money, and I would be curious if you could share some of the things that uh, both the notoriety uh, and the uh, the money itself were helpful in, in doing. Absolutely. Well, Stephanie Punches was um, the person who told me about the Mississippi Arts Commission grants when I was just out of graduate school, and so that first cycle of application I was really just trying to get my studio established. I was teaching part-time in the art department, and it was extremely helpful to have funding to just pay my studio rent and buy supplies. At that time, I was um, supporting myself from my teaching and reinvesting everything from the sales of painting and grants into my studio just to get some momentum. And so... Um, as the years passed, the grant funds just let me continue to expand. Most recently, um, I did an experiment with metal, cutting metal. And so the, the fellowship money just gave me enough to try something new, to, right. to do something different and, and stretch a little bit. So where are you from? Did, are you? I grew up in Canton. In Canton. Yes. And you went to school. Where did you go to school? I went to St. Andrews when I was in elementary school, and I mm -hmm. graduated from Canton Academy. I grew up on the same street as Sambo Mockby. Oh, my goodness. And The legendary Sambo Mockby. Yes. And my his, great friend. His children were my dear friends. The Mockettes. <laughs> and Julius. And that's right. <laughs> and um, then I went to Ole Miss for undergrad and LSU for graduate school. Uh -huh. And Stephanie Punches from Natchez, she's a former board member of ours. How did you know Stephanie? That's right. Well, her son was good friends. He's my age, and we oh, have a, a mutual friend, so I met her through him. So it was when she was on the board That's that right. she was encouraging you to apply. That's right. I had just finished graduate school, and we were talking about my work, and she encouraged me to apply that first year. And um, once I really understood how the system worked, I applied again. Yeah, good for you. So let's talk about your work. Would, for our listeners, would you explain, uh, you know, your sort of elevator speech of, of what, how, what, it, what your work is, how you create it? 
Absolutely. I My work is drawing-based. I make contour line drawings of plants, and that process lets me really mark time and watch seasonal change. It increases my sensitivity to just what's happening in the natural world. So since 2001, I have been making contour line drawings of plants, and then I take the silhouettes of those shapes, of I take the silhouette shapes from the drawings and I cut those out and I use them as stencils and I make paintings, I make works on paper, I make sculptures and the cumulative nature of the work really lets me um, explore color, explore seasonal change in a way that's kind of like the way that a garden is established over time. I have right. more forms now than I've began with and so I can really just kind of expand and stretch and, and what I'm doing but it's it's a very connected body of work as a whole hmm. so it's based a lot in the natural world based uh, in the natural world you're very into flora and fauna and seasons so here we are in late February it's raining like crazy and seasons are changing what what does your art look like in this sort of early spring, late summer, rain, 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 rain. Well, I always have this vision of getting to the point where I'm really working in season and making paintings that are about the present time, but the paintings just take longer to make than the seasons mm -hmm. last. And so it's always a little bit of a shift. Um, this time of year, I'm watching the long-range forecast. I work outside a lot, and so I have to take the days that... It's not freezing to be outside. I was in my outside studio space this morning, and I have two paintings in progress right now. One is the new spring flowers that will be more and more on the ground in the next few months. and Like the crocuses and the... Well, these are actually blues, so forget-me-nots and Virginia bluebells okay. and these little delicate flowers. And then the other painting that I have going right now is actually for the upcoming um, exhibition at the museum um, that Bill Dunlap curated that focuses on the landscape. And it's a painting with spring branches, so it really is right this minute. And um, I'm working a little smaller for this painting and hoping that's gonna work out well. Do you have gallery representation? Yes. I have a show in March at Spalding Nicks in Atlanta mm. and in July at David Lust Gallery in Nashville. And then I have a show in December at Southside Gallery here in Oxford. Wow. So a you, big year. You've, you've got lots of folks working on your behalf. That's right. <laughs> and, and Cole Pratt in New Orleans. Right. But cool. I don't have a show there this year. My guest today is Carlisle Wolf. Carlisle is a painter, a visual artist based in Oxford, Mississippi, and a three-time winner of the Visual Arts Fellowship at the Mississippi Arts Commission. And uh, we are in Oxford recording on campus at the university on a very rainy day where the Enid Lake is coming out of its, its uh, boundaries today, as I noticed coming up the highway. So this is probably unfair for an artist and a painter, but I would like for you to name a color for each season, and I'll start with fall. Okay. Um, well, that is a hard, a hard <laughs> question, but I think I'll go with an amber color. 
I have this wonderful redbud tree that's right outside of my studio and over it is a pecan tree and the kind of yellow green of the redbud with this really ambery yellow green plus brown color of the pecan tree is one of my favorites in fall. And right outside my uh, kitchen window at home is a Japanese magnolia, which is sadly almost in, in Jackson climate. It's almost finished. It, it bloomed out right about Valentine's Day, and the rains have beaten it down. And, and my next arrival is I am waiting for my redbud. <laughs> <laughs> They're wonderful. <laughs> they are. They really are. So what about uh, summer? Summer, we're going backwards. Um, I'm going to take just a summer green, a super lush growth green. Mm-hmm. And winter. Winter, I'll take a neutral that is mixed with a violet. I love how in the winter when the there's less green in the landscape, suddenly all of the neutral colors look like they have violet tones to them. Hmm. So that leaves spring. Spring. Um, I think I'll go with a nice kind of greeny white like the white of lily of the valley flowers and the white of the kind of base of peonies. Terrific. So if you would, for our listeners, um, would you take them through a process of creating a painting? Absolutely. Just because, you know, we're, we're only audio and they're all trying to think visually. Absolutely. Well, I love to give um, studio tours, so we'll approach it that way. My studio looks like a cabin and there are two buildings and um, in the front building I have I work with my brushes and I make drawings and so I'll have a wood panel really large wood panels and I'll develop an underpainting so with the underpainting I like to kind of set a key color and I start to make decisions about how the painting will be balanced and how the color will be distributed. And then I carry that large panel to a a building that I refer to as the shed. It has barn doors, but it does have sides and closed. And inside of the shed, I have tables around the perimeter. And on the tables, I have stacks of stencils. And they're organized according to the time of the year and their sizes and the painting that I'm actually making. Are these all leaves or are they branches and other things? Everything. Branches and flowers. They're all based on plants. Okay. And so I'll put my panel that's been prepared on sawhorses to make it kind of like a tabletop. And then I'll arrange my stencils and that's when I really start to plan so I'm saving the color that's in the underpainting with this first layer of stencils and I really am planning my my composition how the how the painting fits together then I go back into the studio and I'm working from a color study most of the time that I've made with little paint swatches so I'll have Well, for example, I'll use a foggy morning in October. And so this particular color study has really um, kind of foggy whites and grays and blue grays and blue greens. And then it has colors of branches that are a little bit closer to me that read as browns and violets, richer colors. Mm -hmm. And 
So I'll begin the process of mixing this next layer of paint. And I spend a lot of time mixing color in the studio. And one of my favorite things while I'm mixing color, I like to listen to audiobooks. Oh. And that's just kind of a delightful part of it for me. I go back into the shed and I spray a layer of paint. And then when that paint is dry enough, I'll add another layer of stencils. And then that process just continues until um, the painting is, is pretty finished. And there's a lot of balance of, um, of planning and mystery and surprise. So the process of removing the stencils is always very exciting for me and surprising. And a lot of times I take it back into the studio and keep working from So it's there. like opening a present. It is. It's, <laughs> that part is very much like opening well, a present. Well, thank you for a tour of your studios yes, and for you sharing for your process. Interested. I appreciate it. Okay, we're going to take a break and listen to the music of Blue Mountain from this old CD entitled Homegrown, and it's a, a song entitled Myrna Lee, and I often think of Myrna Collie Lee, one of our current board members, when I play it. So Blue Mountain, Myrna Lee. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today, also the executive director of your Mississippi Arts Commission. In the studio in Oxford on the campus of the University of Mississippi, I am with Carlisle Wolf. Welcome back, Carlisle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And you wear lots of hats. Uh, you are an artist, uh, a very accomplished visual artist. Uh, you also have served uh, as president of the Friends of the Museum, the University Museum. Is that the proper name for that? That's right. And in doing that, you were able to interact with and be a part of a very exciting exhibition uh, from 2016. That's right. Uh, featuring the amazing William Eggleston's work. And there's a forthcoming book, but tell us a little bit about the exhibit and, and the book itself and about the William Eggleston-Oxford uh, connection. Sure. Well, the museum has a wonderful collection, and serving on the board of the Friends of the Museum gave me the opportunity to understand that so much of the collection is rarely seen because of limited physical space. And so one really important collection that the museum has is 55 of Eggleston's photographs. And William Ferris collected these photographs from right. Eggleston. And the story of their collection is so cool. He actually, they had a friendship and he would um, be visiting Eggleston in Memphis and flipping through these photographs on his piano and just selecting photographs a few at a time. And so this, maybe I should wait and tell more of that story <laughs> when we get to the symposium, but this is a special collection. And so the museum wanted to put together a very special show about the collection and the Friends Board was involved in financially sponsoring the show and also just collaborating, kind of brainstorming about scholars to bring in and Eggleston's creative community to involve. And so the exhibition happened in the fall of 2016 and went into the winter of 2017. And 
it was beautiful. The museum walls were this deep aubergine color, and the photos in the exhibition were relatively small. And I think now they're reproduced really large sometimes, but mm-hmm. um, so you had a sense of the photographs as having a kind of serial existence and not just being individual isolated images, which was really wonderful. Anyway. And these were uh, photographs taken between 1961 and 1980, 89 or somewhere in there? Yes. Yes, you're right. That Bill Ferris Ferris had collected himself of Eggleston's work, and then he, Ferris then gave them to the museum. You're right. And then you were able to exhibit them as William Eggleston's Bill Ferris collection. You're right, which was complicated to phrase. Yeah. And... So part of the original vision was that we would create a book, and that book will be released this summer, which is really exciting. It's called The Beautiful, Mysterious, The Extraordinary Gaze of William Eggleston, and it will be released in June. Great. Who's publishing it? The University Press. Oh, so it's a in-house publication. University mm-hmm. of Mississippi Press. So it, it, it's sort of the catalog of the exhibit and a standalone coffee table book, for lack of a better word. It, it is a, yes, it is a catalog of the collection, and it also includes essays from um, scholars and members of Eggleston's creative community that came to the symposium okay. and, um, and other programming. So, so this would be like Dunlap. Maudie, right? I mean, yes, people yes. like that. Well, the symposium, I'll start there. Okay. Um, we had a morning panel, and Lisa Howarth was the curator. Mm-hmm. And Megan, well, she was the moderator. moderator. Megan Abbott was the curator of the exhibition. And then Maudie Schuyler Clay and William Ferris were on that first panel. And in that panel, it was... Um, a group of people who had wonderful personal relationship with Eggleston and told these great stories. Like when Bill Ferris and Bill Eggleston first met, they were in Memphis and there was a late night party at Eggleston's house and Bill Ferris arrived with his pet parrot <laughs> and his pet parrot bit Eggleston's mother. <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> A tragedy (laughs) in the very beginning. Yes, from the beginning. It was very interesting and specific. (laughs) And Megan Abbott's um, essay that she contributed and that she read in the symposium um, was just magical. She really talked about how instead of telling a story, Eggleston's work suggests a story that Mm. the viewer really tells, kind of participates and makes up. And... um, I also had in that panel a strong sense of what Oxford was like in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and 80s. And when the Center for the Study of Southern Culture was coming together and being formed and Square Books was being formed and the art department was kind of new. And it gave me a wonderful sense of um, just why Oxford's such a great place to be a visual artist today. And I refer to that period as Oxford's Cafe Society. And to me, it was pretty much 74 until Richard became mayor. Those are <laughs> the years that I think of as Oxford's Cafe Society. That's a good phrase. <laughs> <laughs> so so 
that was the symposium. That was the beginning of mm-hmm. the symposium. We also brought in um, an afternoon panel that Bill Ferris moderated and Richard McCabe from the Ogden, Emily Neff from the Brooks Museum, and Chris Belden Adams from our art department really contextualized Eggleston's photographs. And then after um, the symposium, Michael Almereda, who made Eggleston in the Real World, the right. film, visited, and we screened his film. And we also had um, Ann Wilkes Tucker visit. And she had um, it all one thing that I really realized about Eggleston and his work um, was just how interesting his community was. She had worked at MoMA and then had started the um, photography department at the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. And Emily Neff at the Brooks Museum had worked with her before going to the Brooks Museum. Mm-hmm. And so just bringing these scholars into one place and having this conversation was very enlightening. And so that is the text of the book. That's the the word substance of the book. And then it's also full of beautiful reproductions of Eggleston's photographs. Is it just the Ferris collection or, in addition, other images as well? A few others that were mentioned in the conversation during the symposium, mm-hmm. but mostly the museum's collection. That's that's terrific. So for our listener, uh, I want to remind you that we're speaking with Carlisle Wolf. Carlisle is herself a visual artist, a painter, but she's also, uh, among other things, uh, involved with the University Museum here in Oxford, which is a fabulous, used to be called the Bowie Museum back in the day. Marie Bowie, am I right about that? The museum, yes. The museum has um, an interesting history. It's right on the edge of the campus and the university, I mean, the campus and the town. Right. And it's a great bridge between the university community and Oxford community and North Mississippi community. It's a, It has a an important existence, and it serves all of those people. And it used to be, um, besides an arts museum, it had a, a, a large science component. It used to have all sorts of equipment and that is still scientific there. Uh, instruments and such. It's a teaching museum, so mm-hmm. yes, it has scientific instruments. And one of my friends was in a geology class and said that he went to the, visit the museum recently, and I was picturing him looking at paintings and they were actually looking at the rocks and the yeah and, and they have all that archaeology stuff right. there too it's a fascinating place right and, and i've been going there long before it became the university museum when it was just sort of a community museum i guess it has a very eclectic collection you're right um but anyway so you're you you're still involved or you were the president of the friends are you involved anymore oh, i'm still involved right now we are planning i'm not i was on the board for seven years and mm-hmm. now I just serve at a committee level Great, and um, we are currently planning an exhibition and um, symposium based on Dunlap's painting that the Arts Commission gave the funding for through the Dill Grant, Right, the Meditations on the Landscape. And so we are very um, excited about that programming coming up. Now, Aren't you also a professor at, here at the university? I taught part-time in the art department here for 10 years, and now I just work in my studio full-time. So it's, it's your museum work and your own personal 
That's where I creation am now. right now. Yes, and and probably other things that if I dug hard enough, you're involved in. But but so you want to go ahead and um, let's begin talking about the um, Bill Dunlap piece and the upcoming. Uh, that's a symposium, also, right? That is a symposium that is coming up next month. And um, and it and it all relates to a painting that the University Museum purchased of. William Dunlap's, Bill Dunlap's, that was funded by a program at the Mississippi Arts Commission called the Dill Fund. And the story on the Dill Fund is that when I became the director of the Arts Commission in 2005, I discovered that there was this sum of money that had been donated, a bequest, had been donated to the Arts Commission uh, for the purposes of acquiring visual arts, primarily landscapes, seascapes. And beyond that, there was no information. We, we couldn't find a deal person. We couldn't find a family member. There was no trace of this person other than this, and I don't mind sharing this $150,000 check that had never been deposited anywhere because no one knew what to do with it. So I put it in a fund at the community foundation and invested it and it doubled in its time there and it grew to over three hundred thousand dollars and it was at that time our board of commissioners said let's grant out a round of grants using this magnificent gift from the dill family so we created along with terry fluker who was there at the time he was our visual arts specialist uh, we created these dill funds for institutions that collect and the university museum here in oxford chose to purchase a william dunlap painting with their uh, grant that they received from the dill fund that's right so there's the, <laughs> the history well we appreciate your good <laughs> investment um and one of the cool things about dunlap this um this symposium is called Meditations on the Landscape in Art and Literature. And he has, Dunlap has, of course, very social person. Yes. And he has um, really interesting friends who are joining us for this conversation. So we have um, Sally Mann coming, Natasha <laughs> Trethaway is coming, Jane Livingston, John Alexander, and a wonderful program planned March 25th and 26th. Well, we'll take a break and we'll listen to some music and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll dig into that. And you can tell us a lot more about the upcoming symposium uh, that Mr. Dunlap has, has created and curated. But now we'll take a moment. We're going to listen to some R.L. Burnside because we're up here in Hill Country. And this is a tune uh, entitled Jump on the Line by R.L. Burnside. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today, and my special guest in the studio is Carlisle Wolf. Welcome back, Carlisle. Thank you for from having Canton, me. From Canton, Mississippi. Yes. That's right. So uh, we are in the Southern Documentary Projects office and studios here in, I think it's Kennard Hall. That's right. Right? On the lovely campus of the University of Mississippi. Uh, and we want to thank Andy Harper, who runs this uh, confab, for having us and 
hosting us today while the Arts Commission records six different um, uh, segments for upcoming shows uh, up here in Hill Country. And as I said, my guest today uh, is Carlisle Wolf. And Carlisle is a visual artist who has won three visual arts fellowships from the Arts Commission. But uh, primarily, uh, we're talking about uh, some work that she has done with the University Museum here. And she was served on that board for some six or seven years and was the president of the Friends Group. And so we're talking about, um, we, we spoke in the earlier segments about a past symposium that went on around the work of William Eggleston, Bill Eggleston, who uh, lives in Memphis and is primarily associated with Memphis, but spent a lot of Mississippi time here, and Maudie Schuyler Clay is his niece, and a lot of people know Maudie. Uh, but, um, so we talked about that exhibit that happened back in 16 and 17, and the a f- a book that's coming out soon of the Eggleston collection that uh, Bill Ferris collected and curated. But we're also going to talk about an upcoming uh, exhibition uh, and symposium called Meditations on the Landscape uh, that that is about a uh, another Bill William Dunlap. That's our problem was we got all these Williams and Bills. So this one is about Bill William Dunlap and his painting uh, and the upcoming exhibit. So the exhibit uh, is between will be hanging between March the 25th and July the 27th, 2019, and the symposium around the landscape, the meditations on landscape, will be on Monday, March 25, and Tuesday, March 26. That's right. So that sort of brings us up to uh, the present, which is my favorite place to be. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about some of the painters uh, that are going to be uh, in the exhibit that uh, is going to be hanging in March. Absolutely. It is a long list of painters because, like we said, Bill Dunlap is very social, and he has continued to add to this list of paintings. But um, the show will include, um, let's see, Sally Mann will have photographs. Mm -hmm. Brooke White on campus will have photographs. John Alexander um, will have paintings. Walter Anderson... Um, Jason Bolden, wow, Charlie Buckley, Carlisle Wolf, Carlisle Wolf, Eudora Welty, Glenn Ray Tudor. It is a long list. Um, <laughs> Key Francis, the who's who of yes, Southern a, visual artist. Yes, friends all of focused Bill friends of Phil Dunlap, all focused on on the landscape. Mm-hmm. Again, reminding our listeners, without trying to confuse you, that uh, this is all predicated on the the University Museum purchasing a, a, a Dunlap painting that was funded by the Mississippi Arts Commission, which is a landscape piece. That's right. That's right. So this, I think the conversation will be very interesting because the idea is not just a straightforward look at representing the landscape, but really themes that are resonant in the landscape that have a lot more to do with human history. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to Natasha Trethaway will do a reading on Monday, and then the rest of the symposium will be on Tuesday. And, um, and Natasha, for those of you who don't know, uh, is a Mississippi native. She's a poet. She was the United States Poet Laureate and the state of Mississippi's Poet Laureate. Uh, 
and she was born and raised in Gulfport. And uh, I don't know where she is. She used to be with Emory University in Atlanta for a long time. I'm not quite sure where she's parked these days, but she's uh, uh, an internationally renowned poet and, uh, of course, a friend of Bill Dunlap's. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Okay. John Grisham will be here. John Grisham is coming also. That's right. He will be here. Yes. That's that's quite a lineup. Yes, it's quite a lineup. uh, March 25, 26. That's that's right. Okay, great. So that's uh, the landscape symposium and, and, and exhibit. And and then earlier we were talking about uh, Bill Ferris's William Ferris's uh, Eggleston collection, which was something that y'all y'all did an exhibition and a symposium around in sixteen seventeen. And and I asked you if you'd ever met uh, William Eggleston, and you told me that in fact you had. Would you share that story with us? Absolutely. Um, so Michael Almereda came to visit Bill Eggleston, another. <laughs> for his um, 79th birthday last summer and invited me to join him. Um, and so we went to visit Eggleston. And I had expected um, to just kind of let them have their conversation. And they have a very, a, a lot of mutual respect and a very established friendship. But we ended up talking about the most interesting things. And I really understood he had in his apartment all of these machines that um, oscilloscopes, they measure frequencies. And he was interested in um, just all of these mechanical, he had all of these mechanical machines <laughs> and he was interested in frequencies and in um, music and in photography and so our conversation took this shape of um, we talked about how whales send images to each other using sonar. And we talked about how literally in Bach music, there are bird songs that scholars have transcribed. And it ended up being um, a real connection. And I, I had a different admiration for him. Of course, um, he was a pioneer of color photography. And I really understood after seeing um, his space and just seeing how he engaged with these machines, it gave me a good picture during the symposium. Bill Ferris talked about he invited Eggleston to come to Yale to do a demonstration and to talk to his students when he was teaching Mm -hmm. there. And Eggleston gave him a long list of equipment that he wanted for Bill Ferris to find at the university. And they couldn't find all of that equipment. And so Eggleston had to drive up from here with um, this carload of equipment. And it gave me this picture after just seeing his relationship to these mechanical objects. Um, It helped me understand that his advances in color photography had a lot to do with asking the machines to do things that they weren't really made to do yet. Hmm. And, um, oh, this is my picture. Sure. and now I think the machines so naturally do what Eggleston sort of laid out that at that time was was pioneering. And um, so I think a lot of people look at his work and it looks more like a snapshot than a or a everyday moment than that definitive moment. And 
they don't necessarily understand why his work is as important as it is and as pioneering as it is, but it just takes a slight shift to understand that what he did was something that now we all like mm. to do pretty, um, not necessarily as well as he does, but. Did did you happen to talk to him at all about sort of the the age-old technique that, that he pioneered of developing film in a dark room versus this new modern phone in the, I mean, camera in the phone, everybody snapping shots of everything. Did, did, no, we didn't talk about that. I would be curious what he that. thinks about all of that. But he does have a very forward thinking. He is a very encouraging presence. Like, um, and I think he's excited about the things coming. Like, I noticed during the symposium several people um, commented that Eggleston mentioned that he would like to photograph dreams. Uh-huh. And I think that there is this wonderful dream equality to his work, but I'm sort of thankful that we can't photograph dreams because <laughs> what would it be like if we all knew just exactly what was inside everyone else's interior space? And, um, but so it was a more, it wasn't a, as practical a conversation as that. So if we can't photograph dreams, and I think all of us in this booth would agree that we can't, can you paint a dream? can work from a dream for sure Mm -hmm. do you ever do that um I have great dreams but I think that they I think of dreams as sort of sorting information and sometimes um giving you hints about how things fit together that you can't consciously get to Mm -hmm. and so yes I have some influential dreams but I haven't directly painted from them but now the museum has um, the wonderful collection of Theora Hamlet paintings that relate to dreams, and those are very magical. Those are amazing, and that's another thing I remember when I first visited the museum back in the early 70s was all this mechanical science stuff along with art, and then they had all these Theora Hamlets in there. Folk tradition, you know, very. I guess you would call that folk paintings or Well, she was relatively self-taught. She had some instruction, but mm-hmm. definitely had a, a vision that she was, that was not informed by, um, that was, it was, her, all, it was, it was, it was divinely it inspired. Was, it's all spiritual, right? It, yes. Yeah. She, there's a wonderful booklet of her dreams and visions. And, um, then the museum has a collection of those paintings. The Episcopal Church has some of those right. paintings. I think the McCarty's have some of those paintings. The mm. McCarty Studios had some. Um, but they're in Marigold? wonderful. Mm-hmm. And and do you know much about the collection at the university? Like how many pieces and sort of what? I can't tell you a number, but I have gotten like. to see it. And it is very spectacular. I can't wait for a the Ora Hamlet book. That's actually the museum. So much of the work that the museum staff does in preparing exhibitions is so valuable, but it's very ephemeral. So you have an exhibition and scholarship to support the work and lots of programming and ways to engage. And then you move on to the next exhibition. And so a publication like this Eggleston book is a wonderful record and it makes the conversation accessible to a broader audience. And so 
I do hope that in the future we will have a Theora Hamblet book. And uh, there are a lot of stories that the museum um, should be publishing in the future. So I look forward to that. Another piece of the collection at the University Museum that I really love is the Seymour Lawrence collection. Do you know much about that? It's a wonderful collection. Yes, I would love to see that become more accessible, too. Yeah, there's a couple of Russell Chatham originals in there. There is a, um, I don't know, it, it's really great. I remember when, when it was first gifted, when he first came here, and uh, he gave all that to the museum. It was really great to go over there and see. It's a very special collection, yes. There's a George O'Keefe painting there. Yeah, George O'Keefe, that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking about. Maybe it's a sunflower or something. It's know. a it's floral, it's, but yeah, it's of the natural world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have upcoming exhibitions that you'd want to talk about, or places that our listeners can find you and your artwork? Well, sure. Um, yeah. So, the paintings that I'm making right now are headed to Atlanta, and that show will be at Spalding Nick's Fine Art, mm-hmm. and the show begins at the end of March and goes into the beginning of June. And um, that show is with Catherine Sandoz. And an interesting part of, I just met Spalding last year, and an interesting part of showing in Atlanta is kind of getting to know a whole different group of artists, and especially um, in Savannah. A lot of his artists are are in Savannah. And so Catherine lives and works there. And I feel like that... um, is a, is a super exciting just community that I'm learning more about. And then in July, I'll have a show at David Lusk Gallery in Nashville. And David Lusk has um, another really special community of artists that I've enjoyed getting to know. I went just last week to um, hear Beth Edwards talk about her work at his gallery. And doesn't he have a gallery in Memphis also? You're right. His mm-hmm. first gallery was in Memphis and or is in Memphis and he lives in Memphis and the Nashville Gallery is let's see, I think twenty sixteen okay. was the year that Relatively that opened. Hmm. And and then the piece that you will have in the exhibition That's right. It's coming That's... up. The the Dunlap. Yes. Landscape. All right. Well, we have covered the waterfront, as they say in TV land, and it's been a joy having you here, Carlisle. Well, thank you so much for the invitation and for what you're doing. I value your work and your support of the arts, and thank you so much. Well, thank you. And that's it for us on the Arts Hour. We are here every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Mississippi's Public Broadcasting Network on MPB TV. Think Radio. Thank you very much. We'll see you next Sunday.